Hello and welcome. This is Being Human. I'm Jo Frost and in this episode, my co-host Peter Linus and I are chatting with artist, advocate and activist Hannah Thomas. A few weeks ago, we caught up with Hannah over Zoom as we explored personhood, relationship and how to give space and agency to those who have been marginalised. I do hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as we did. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hello and welcome. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you both today. So we are still living the dream that is the COVID pandemic. Where do we find you today? Where are you uh, holed up at the moment? I am currently studying my PhD remotely, living in Surrey and um, yeah, enjoying being immersed in studies at, at a time when all projects or exhibitions have been cancelled because of COVID, obviously. So it's uh, it's great to have something to be getting my teeth into and be growing in um, at this time. So, um, Hannah, for for those of you, uh, for those of our listeners who haven't met you or heard of you before, tell us a little bit about your backstory. Um, who are you? What do you do? What does life normally find you up to? Um, yeah, tell us a bit about yourself. So I, well, I've been working as an artist since finishing my degree in Arabic and history at Durham and an artist trying to weave together human rights, um, advocacy work, trauma healing work with refugee communities, as well as my own portrait painting practice. So um, quite diverse areas really, but passions that have been on my heart for a long time. Um, and I've had the privilege of working with Syrian refugee communities in Jordan, with Yazidi women who escaped ISIS captivity in Iraqi Kurdistan, Rohingya refugees in Bangladeshi refugee camps, um, and Nigerian Christian women who'd escaped Boko Haram and survivors of Fulani sexual violence as well in northern Nigeria. So it's been a real privilege and a real journey over the last few years. And um, yeah, I think that's all really. And how does that all tie in to the PhD? And then, and then what do you do? In, that, uh, what you've just described, obviously, is uh, in lots of different geographical locations. How has lockdown impacted all of that? So lockdowns meant that all projects or advocacy exhibitions have been cancelled because um, so it's it's changed, meant, meant I've had to take a step back from all that and it's been but it's been a chance to really reflect on these the journey that has been this past year and I re really re realised that I need to grow and deepen my understanding of the potential of the arts in in bringing reconciliation trauma healing in um, post-conflict settings and among migratory and marginalised communities so a real desire to grow in understanding and knowledge which is where the PhD comes into so that I ended up applying for that last year but I also have been writing a book weaving together the stories of the women that I've met um to again to shine a light on their stories and enable their voices to be heard so that's been another chance to to be involved to be deepening the work I guess and my thought process behind it even while it's not possible to be doing it in in person to be traveling or to be doing exhibitions during lockdown yeah one of my um favorite dinner party questions which i haven't been able to use for the last year and a half um is what are the two stories you think 
are most helpful for people to understand and get to know you a bit more deeply? What stories do you like to tell? Um, I think when my journey as an artist, it really began while I was living in Jordan as an Arabic student in 2014, that would be. And the UN Refugee Agency invited me to organise art projects with Syrian refugees. So we ended up turning UN refugee tents into works of art with groups of Syrian refugees. And I was completely out of my depth, really, as a 22-year-old running this project, having only ever painted on small canvases before, let alone organising a large-scale art project with a, in a foreign language. Um, but it was really, it really filled, it was, oh, it was one of those experiences that was very, a real watershed moment. It was very transformative, really. Um, and, and really it did open my eyes as well to the enormity of the refugee crisis today and a desire to use the arts to, as a way to shine a light on the hidden stories as well as bringing hope, bringing life, I guess, bringing creativity into these contexts as well. Um, so it was definitely, that was a very informative experience. Um, another story would probably be I love, a real love of the outdoors, of being in the beauty of nature, going long distance running. I actually took it up while I was living in Jordan as well. I did a, a, a half marathon barefoot in the desert. Um, and just, and that's a and love of long distance running since then. So most days I spend, I often run out into the woods for a couple of hours. And that's often when my best thoughts and clarity comes to me of different ideas. And I feel such a closeness to God as well in the beauty of, creation so um for the podcast today what we wanted to explore with you is some of the themes that you've already touched on um we wanted to explore the idea of art and humanity and the relationship and the conversation between those two ideas and then art and advocacy i mean you even describe yourself as an artist and an advocate so how mm -hmm. does art work as a vehicle uh, for change and for giving voice to people's stories so if we drop into art and humanity first, um, I suppose my qu major question is, and you've touched on it already, why do you focus on stories of women and certainly of stories of vulnerable or persecuted women? Um, mm. What are the major themes of your artwork and why have you zeroed in on, on, on some of them? Um, well, I think... It's uh, some real key and underpinning of my work is recently, particularly in my PhD, I've been reading a lot about the philosophers. I don't know if you know them, Emmanuel Levinas and Simone Weil. And Emmanuel Levinas speaks about the importance of that encounter with the other, um, particularly in their suffering that can be transformative. And wondering about the role of a portrait, how that can transmute that encounter um, that enables us to see our shared humanity in, in the face of another that actually um, transforms our understanding of the world as well. It can be that it's and that also that he talks about the encounter with the other as being an encounter with the infinite as well. And so in what way can there is something, always something in, in the other it is unknowable and we can't fully understand, but a desire to cross those bridges, to seek understanding, to seek those points of, of, of shared humanity, um, points of connection. And Simone Weil is another one that has been very influential in my artwork about the idea of attention and attending to those she speaks about those in reflection and the, the, the that act of paying attention is one that 
can restore an individual to him, his or her humanity. And what the role of these art projects with these with the women that I've had the privilege of working with and creating that space for the reverence, um, to reverence, to honour, to honour their stories, to give them the chance to express through creativity, to give them a voice through their paintings being shown in places like the House of Parliament or other places in the West as well. Um, what does that mean? How, how, what can the role of the arts play in, in, in facilitating that kind of attention that can be, again, healing, restorative? And that when it's, the Samove talks about attention, it's highest form being like a form of prayer. And, and that reverence, again, it's like those idea of the reverence, reverencing of the other and honouring them, particularly, I think, for women and children in these marginalised communities whose voices are forgotten and whose stories are not heard. Um, but God sees them and God sees them as equally valuable as any other individual in the world. And to see them, there's a desire to be, to see them as he sees them and to express that to him. Um, I don't know if that fully answers the question. Um, Beautifully. Uh, you 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 mentioned it just then, but you primarily use portraits, I believe, in in that mm-hmm. communication. What do you find so powerful about portrait as a medium of art? I think it is about the idea of the encounter and how can a portrait? I think captures more than a photograph. It gives a different depth. Um, I think, but also because it is a painting, I use early Renaissance painting methods and they're quite painstaking process. And so a painting is very much born of contemplation. So I think it creates, because it's, it's, and it is like a form of prayer. I do find it using these icon painting methods as well. And for me, it's a way to express something of the stories that I've heard as pour out my heart into these pictures. But I think a portrait has such a power in, in that I've, well, I have noticed that when they have been shown in these places like House of Parliament, how people will just stop and stare, even though in the midst of their busy day and read those stories and, and even cry before them. I think there's something in a painting that can transfer that encounter. It's not something I fully understand um, that can capture something of a different essence of... Yeah, it's not something I understand, I've got to say, but um, it's a beautiful medium for enabling that and facilitating that, I believe. So uh, can you say maybe a little more even around those Renaissance? I mean, the techniques also interest me, but then what you're, the icon and how that draws, I mean, you're drawing on your faith as you've expressed, you've talked about the sacred, the, the prayerful, the reverence. Um, you mean you have a series on the divine image, like how you're trying to embody something both of the spiritual and your own faith within that whole process. I think I, studying my MA, I learned these traditional painting te- methods. And with icon painting, every single step has a symbolism. Every single step has a prayer. And I loved that about learning the learning about that process. Um, you kind of start with the dark layers and then you add, gradually add in the highlights and that symbolism of that journey from darkness to light, which is meant to be symbolic of the journey of the soul. And the use of gold leaf, how that's meant to be symbolic again of the design, divine as well. So when I use the gold leaf for these paintings of Yazidi women who survived ISIS captivity or the Nigerian women survivors of Boko Haram, so women who've endured sexual violence and unimaginable horrors at the hands of 
of their captors. Um, the idea was to capture something of their sacred value in spite of what they suffered, and also especially, especially to counteract this whole stigma around sexual violence that the women so often experience when they return home and that rejection that in their, within their communities. But to show something, I hoped, of a glimpse of how God sees them, of their dignity, their resilience, um, their faith, their, gosh, I never seems to be amazed by the strength of these women that I've had the privilege of working with. Um, and I wanted to honour their stories in that way, honour them um, through the use of these sacred methods. Um, you mentioned uh, earlier that you use art as part of trauma healing class mm. therapy and well uh, it's a process that your artistry is about giving voice about the redemptive process of journey mm. how, how does that work out in some of your interactions with these women how is the process of creativity giving voice and empowerment back to women who had previously been so badly empowered and harmed so well, a lot of the key texts on trauma healing talk about the importance of creating a safe space, almost like, as like a container for the sharing of story. And so what I was trying to create through these art projects was that safe space through the opportunity to express something of what they've been through through the paintings. And for the, in particular, to look at the projects I organised with the Yazidi women and the Nigerian women, I was teaching the women to paint their self-portraits very much as, an, as a way for them to share their stories with the rest of the world. Um, and the stories that they wanted to communicate were ones of grief for their loved ones lost or still, in many cases, still in captivity. Um, and, they, and they chose to also paint their portraits using tears and, and also gold tears, many of them really interestingly, which um, was that, and that was why I called the exhibition Tears of Gold, my current one, and um, with my portraits of the Yazidi Rohingya Nigerian women that I'd worked with. Um, and the idea was to create this opportunity for many of the women who'd never painted in their lives before. They'd never even picked up a pen. Someone said they'd never even written their name, the chance to express them. I mean, it felt like such a drop in the ocean when you think of the trauma that they had faced. But this act of painting a portrait it is in many ways also like an expression of identity and a sense of their own value and acknowledgement of their experience, but also um, of their dignity and... Yeah, some this just the seeing that transformation that took place in them over just one or, or two weeks that I spent with the women um, in that space of time was quite extraordinary. And um, the, uh, the workers on the ground, the NGOs I was working with, said that they'd never quite seen anything like that rapid turnaround of transformation. Um, they said many of them they'd found peace of heart. They'd come with heavy hearts that were leaving filled with joy. Um, and that it's, it's, was, it was just an incredible privilege to have that opportunity. It's something I'm still learning about this in my PhD, trying to understand what the role of the arts has in facilitating trauma healing, reconciliation, all this kind of work and, the, and its unique potential in this area. It's a very much an emergent field as well, so it's, there isn't that much literature or research into it. So 
interviewing Hannah Thomas, artist and advocate. Hannah, you've just been explaining um, some of the stories and the insights and the moments of healing and redemption that have come um, through the art projects that you've been running around the world, um, which draws us into our second area of, of interest with you. We wanted to explore this idea of art and advocacy, um, how these two things came together, both in your story and how you understand them uh, a little bit more broadly. So I suppose the first question is, how can art be used as a vehicle for justice? I think it can really, um, can they can create that space for an understanding of of another's experience, an opportunity to to, to, and also the idea of restoration of voice, I think, which is very much a part of my projects. And I know John Paul Lederach is, who's, um, so he's in, he's a theologian, but also works in the reconciliation um, space. He's he's extraordinary, but he so he speaks of you know um, the the healing is very much about for for individuals and for communities is about restoration of voice, and so where voice has been taken away, where there's been silenced, particularly for communities of mass trauma, um, there's often a conspiracy of silence that prevails among these communities. So how can the arts create a space to to enable the stories to be expressed, to be communicated, whether that's through art or dance or music, there are all sorts of ways in which um, the arts have been used in this space in reconciliation work. Because I believe that trauma healing is such an important prerequisite for reconciliation. Um, it's a very necessary pre prerequisite for reconciliation. Um, and so the role that the arts can play in that restoration of voice and empowering the voice and um, restoration of dignity as well is key part of the restoration of voice. Um, yeah, so I, 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 it's something I don't fully understand, I've got to say, um, but I really believe in its potential in, in this area. I'm fascinated in this as advocacy would be my passion, probably arguably a more traditional route in terms of coming as a lawyer into that. And that, as you talked about, the restoration of voice is what I find most intriguing because so much of advocacy is to do with voice. And then how do we empower yeah. and sometimes speak on behalf of those who are voiceless? Oh, it's something, I think something you're just... Is, is I'm very, very acutely aware of in this work, particularly coming in um, with my background that I have and all these assumptions that go with that as well and the complications of the idea around the white saviour and all these ideas that make this work um, quite fraught in many ways and just wanting to counteract any of the, that kind of power dynamic um, that could be involved in this work, I think is very much about focusing on the women's stories and what they want to convey so not coming in with an agenda that, or an idea when you come come into these projects or come into the space and 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 it being ultimately about women being led by the participants um and and empowering their voices to be heard and what and their needs to be communicated and expressed and them to even come to a place where they can understand their needs as well because in many of these situations particularly for women they don't they're not really asked these questions or they're not really attended to or or heard in these spaces so how can how to create that space that create that is very much focused on the women and is led by them um, and not by any external or top-down agendas. But I think one really powerful way 
um, that I've discovered is very much coming in um, and sharing some of my story about my own journey through trauma. That's what I did initially with the project in Northern Nigeria with the women. I hadn't really expected to share that, but I just felt in my heart to do that. Um, and the women said that hearing my story helped them realize that they didn't need to be feel ashamed of their own past experiences um, or the all the triggers that they experience day to day life and coming to, and and the and the rejection that they they've experienced in their communities when they've returned from, even though my experience by no means in any way begins to compare with what they've been through, it was in a way to I guess counteract that that kind of coming in as a researcher the hierarchy that is is um is assumed when you come into these projects, but just coming leveling that ground in a way and saying, you know, we're all on this healing journey together. Um, and for me, I was saying to the women, you know, if I hadn't gone through that and hadn't found art as my own way of bringing healing and, and in my own journey out of trauma, then I wouldn't be doing these projects. I wouldn't be with you today. And so I was saying, you know, God can bring beauty out of even these difficult experiences. And that in a strange way, I, I wouldn't say I'm grateful for it, but I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing if it wasn't for that. But I think creating that space where you can, where you lead the way in that vulnerability creates a safety for the women to then be vulnerable, if that makes sense. Yeah. It, which actually leads me on to the, the question I wanted to ask, which is you have shared the stories and been in the space of immense suffering and pain and harm and hurt. Um, how do you reconcile the suffering that you've witnessed and the stories that you've heard with the idea of a, a loving God? What has your experiences done to shape your understanding of maybe lament or hope and healing? Um, well, I think... A key aspect of the lament and hope and healing process is often when I return home and my heart is so heavy with the stories of the women that I've heard, quite overwhelmed in many ways, um, um, by all that I've seen and heard. And I do pour this into these paintings that you see that I don't think I could go to these places if I didn't have the paintings as a way to communicate something of what I'd seen. And they are... I thought, but thinking of them, you know, in some ways like a visual psalm, you know, a psalm of lament, um, where I like, where it's also like, and also a prayer for the women, as each woman that I paint, I pray for as I paint and think of their stories and often cry while I'm painting. Um, but it's, but also I'm, I'm, but also like these psalms of lament, they always speak of how God meets us in our suffering. And I do see that with the with the women that I've worked with, um, with the Nigerian women. They, the Nigerian women in particular, because we have shared faith, so we were speaking about that. And they all spoke of the comfort that God has brought to them through what they've experienced. And they spoke of how God's loving kindness and their faith um, through the su their sufferings just extraordinary um their resilience i think this inspires me with hope their compassion their kindness that they showed to me as well um i and experiencing that and the extraordinary beauty and resilience of the human spirit even in the most darkest of experiences of 
of experiences of suffering and pain that are ongoing for the women. I mean, the Nigerian women were going back into situations of conflict um, as well with the ongoing conflict in the North um, with the uncertainty of their future, whether they'd be safe, but their trust in God. Um, gosh, it was just absolute inspiring and privileged to be with them. I was, I was thinking to myself when I was with the women, you know, it says in the Bible, how the last will be first and the first will be last, that I was in the presence of, you know, royalty in, in heaven when we're in heaven um, and we meet again. You know, these women will be so honoured for their faith and steadfast faith in God um, throughout all this time. And I just felt such a privilege to be in their company. Um, even one, one woman, um, Charity, said to me on the last day, you know, um, I thank God that we were meeting heaven again. And that was just, yeah, really beautiful. It was like, oh, very emotional leaving, always very emotional parting and leaving the women. But that was something I, I carried with me on my way home. What role as we come out of this kind of global pandemic then, what role do you think are play in a sense, I suppose we've gone through a, a collective trauma and it's different scale for everybody in this moment, but for some it has been incredibly deep and there's deep anxiety and fear for many in response to that. Yeah, what, what, what role could art play in response? I think that we're, after the pandemic, certainly speaking for myself as well, we're more aware of our vulnerability and our need for one another, a need for community. And I think the arts can play a real role in that and creating that community and that, you know, and bringing hope um, and uplifting and healing as well. And I think there is a shift away, particularly with galleries and exhibitions being closed this last year, shift away from the idea of the kind of, I guess, the commercialization of art, materialistic aspect of art and the role maybe of the artist as being more engaged in community rather than a kind of a solitary figure and or genius idea. I wonder I don't know whether this is true or not, but a sense that um awareness that of the role that the arts can play in this and um in in changing of idea our ideas around what art is um that, that i do think have been quite market driven the art world is certainly one i don't really understand <laughs> i've worked more in the humanitarian the political space but um i wonder whether these shifts are happening and there's certainly a need for healing and restoration um and the arts can definitely play a role in this in the Renaissance, um, in the um, there all the great these great works of art were commissioned by the church. So the church was at the forefront of enabling artists to do work that brings glory to God. Which I think in the modern world, I guess artists have to pander to the pandemic in order to not the pandemic. To, but artists have to um, go with what the global market demands are, or all these other things, in order to try to make a living as an artist. Um, but what if there was new opportunities for new commissions um, and new, yeah, investment in the arts for works of of all of films, whether music or all these aspects that really bring glory to God um, and that, that potential of the arts maybe. Well, it's interesting because in the, Frangelica was painting, I remember someone saying that Frangelica was painting during the Black Death um, himself during the pandemic and what works of beauty that, what maybe a new renaissance that could come out of this global pandemic experience, you just don't know, we just don't know what, what may come. 
I love the, the link back to the icons. That's one of the things that really intrigued me mm. earlier because I think there was a space where we, church was commissioning, we were in it. And then yeah. there's an argument made that we almost mm. um, disenchanted mm. the world and everything became very logical and reasonable. Mm. Rational, we could transcendent that you do in a wonderful way that takes us back mm-hmm. to the icons. And so, mm-hmm. uh, just fascinated in that space that you're creating and other artists in this, in this, uh, to mm-hmm. build the links back in a different way. Yeah, yeah. so true because the enlightenment kind of really shifted away. From, and that's when the idea of the artist as a genius came in. And before the enlightenment, it was very much the artist working to glorify God and was more anonymous in the works. Like icon paintings aren't signed on the whole, you know, that many of them, we don't know who the artists are. And it wasn't about that. It was very much about giving glory to God. And I wonder if that's the very point, isn't it? That to actually, to do justice mm. to somebody's humanity, mm. is just to show the, the mm. technical lines and the reality of their face, but mm. actually to point to the fact that each human being points to something more, points beyond, reflects the image of God, bears the image of God, um, yeah. and his character and his nature and his rule and reign around us. Absolutely. And how can a portrait painting convey that? If we're made in the image of God, then painting a portrait is a sacred process if we, each of us reflects something of a divine image and to approach each painting as that, as that reverencing of God in the individual because we each bear something of his image. Uh, I can talk to you, we can talk to you for hours. Um, it has been a fascinating conversation. Please can we reserve the right to have this conversation with you again in more detail? I've uh, loved it. Absolutely. So thank you so much for sharing. Um, uh, we've really appreciated your time with us today. Thank you. I don't you. Me not you can see some incredible portraits. You can see a little bit more. But no, we like to say to our guests, like that, that's fantastic. And people, I want people to go and explore and see more of what you've done, how you've in terms of the portraits, but also the projects and how you bring art and advocacy together. Because I think for some people going, oh, I never thought I could do that. Well, go and see how Hannah's done it and see how you might be able to do that yourself. So there you go. I do hope you enjoyed today's episode. More information about Hannah and her work are in today's show notes. And for more information about Being Human, do check out beinghumanproject.co.uk where you can find out what we're up to, the previous seasons from Being Human podcast, articles, resources, and information on what's coming next. Don't forget to subscribe to Being Human wherever you get your podcast. And until next time, take care and God bless. Thank you.